Thank you, Pastor Dave, for that ministry and music. As Christians, we are to be people of integrity. We should keep our word and thus be trustworthy. We should desire a good reputation. Proverbs 22.1 states, A good name is to be more desired than great riches. Favor is better than silver and gold. The Pharisees, however, were developing a bad reputation. They were increasingly being seen as hypocrites, two-faced, and in this passage, double-tongued. Jesus is going to address the deceitful way in which the Pharisees used oaths or vows. Jesus had said the startling words to his disciples that unless their righteousness exceeded the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, that they would in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus then went on to provide six different examples of how the righteousness that was required went beyond the righteousness that the Pharisees taught or practiced. We are looking at the fourth example this morning, and that has to do with oaths, O-A-T-H-S, or vows, or strengthening one's word. Notice with me Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Again, again, referring to this now fourth example. The righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees does not go far enough in their teaching or practice. The rabbis had developed an oral tradition that later became a written tradition as to how the law was to be interpreted. And all too often, as Jesus is illustrating time and time again, the way in which the law was being interpreted had more to do with circumventing the law or getting around the law than actually fulfilling it. That is, the Pharisees were more concerned about looking righteous than being righteous. And so Jesus says in verse 33, again, you have heard that the ancients were told. The Pharisees based their teaching on an oral tradition. And so its antiquity, or its age, was seen as a primary means to substantiate its accuracy. So Jesus is going to contrast that which his disciples and others had heard being taught by the Pharisees with what Jesus is going to teach. So how did the practice and teaching of the Pharisees regarding O's not go far enough in righteousness. Look at verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths that you have made to the Lord. The reference is to the commandments of the Old Testament. However, unlike the previous examples... There is no specific command that is being addressed here. 
Previously, you were looking at the Ten Commandments. But now, it's a compilation of the law. A compilation of the law. Putting various verses of Scripture together. For example, the two most notable. Deuteronomy 23, 21. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for it would be sin unto you. And the Lord your God will surely require it of you. Leviticus 19.12 Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. The Old Testament commandments concerning oaths was aimed at honesty and integrity. It was about the importance of keeping one's word. However, the Pharisees did great violence to that intent. And in fact, the way that they taught concerning oaths, they undermined the integrity of individuals. They did this by stressing a portion of the verse that actually distorted the verse. They put the emphasis on the wrong syllable, if you will. They read the verses that I just read like this. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it, for the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you and you'll be guilty of sin. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. The Pharisees developed a distinction between vows that were made in the Lord's name or in the Lord's person and vows that did not evoke the Lord's name or the Lord's person. So here's where the Pharisees went wrong. They taught that one was bound to keep their word if they cited the Lord's name or indirectly were citing the person of God or his attributes. So if you use the Lord's name or you referenced the Lord's attributes or person, then you had to keep your vow. But if you didn't evoke the Lord's name and you didn't refer to his attributes or his person in any way, then you were not bound to keep your vow. You had to keep your vow when you vowed in the Lord's name. Jesus addresses a similar issue in Matthew chapter 23. You don't need to turn there, but listen. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, that's nothing. You don't have to worry about it. If you swear by the temple, that's okay. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering upon it, he is obligated. The Pharisees developed technicalities in making oaths. 
And you had to understand their interpretation of the law. You had to understand the technicality. You had to understand the small print. To know when somebody was making a vow to you whether or not it was breakable. Similar to the small print in many contracts today. The Pharisees actually used O's as a means of deceiving people. People thought when they heard a vow, this person must really be speaking the truth. When in actuality, they were constructing the vow in such a manner that they did not speak the truth. The Pharisees and the Jews thought that they had a responsibility to their community that was different than their responsibility to the Gentiles. For the Gentiles, it was buyer beware. For the non-Jew, they didn't feel like they were under any obligation at all. To be honest with them, because they viewed them as dishonest, they viewed them as unholy and unrighteous, and they didn't think that they had any obligation to a non-Jew. And so they developed these O's that, to a non-Jew, sounded very binding. But to the Pharisees, they weren't binding at all because they had this technicality. It's much like, if you can remember back to the days when you were children, and remember if you crossed your fingers behind your back, then the promise didn't count. Remember that? That's what they did. This was the way in which they crossed their fingers behind their back, so what they said didn't have to be true. That is what Jesus is addressing. So Jesus corrects the teaching concerning vows and keeping one's word. Jesus contrasts his teaching with the rabbis, verse 34, but I say unto you. Earlier, remember, the Pharisees were finding fault with Jesus, and he said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets, for I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. So here is another way in which Jesus is demonstrating that he didn't come to abolish what the word of God said. He came to fulfill it. And the way in which Jesus seeks to fulfill it is in each one of these instances, he goes far beyond the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees. And in this instance, Jesus says, do not make any oath at all. Look at verse 34. But I say to you, make no oath at all. Make no oath at all. Let me just stop there. We'll deal with the second half of this verse in a moment. But first we need to set right some misunderstandings that have come down to us today. When Jesus says that we are not to swear at all, he does not mean that it is always wrong to take an oath. That in any circumstance, one has sinned or done wrong by entering into an oath or a vow. How do we know this? Three ways. First, the Old Testament encourages the taking of vows in, per, in certain instances, in certain settings. Much like we would take wedding vows today. And that certainly is not in violation of the passage that is before us. 
Paul took vows and made an oath. 2 Corinthians 1.23, Galatians 1.20, both instances in which Paul is taking a vow and is under oath. And I suppose we could argue, well, Paul is not sinless, so maybe Paul sinned when he took these oaths. Well, the most demonstrable example is Jesus himself. And when Jesus was on trial before the high priest concerning what would ultimately be the crucifixion, we have these words. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. Now these words. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus replied, yes, it is as you say. Jesus allowed himself to be placed under oath. Jesus didn't say, I can't answer you because that would be sin. He was placed under oath. He answered under oath. What Jesus is teaching us is that we are not to swear in any form. Notice verse uh, 37. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Why does he say that? That's what we want to get at this morning. Why does he say that? Here are the reasons. Reasons why we're not to swear or promise or strengthen our word. The first reason that we are not to strengthen our word or be swearing or placing ourselves under oath is because our word when given is binding and we are always accountable to God to keep it. Let me say that again. When we give our word, it is always binding and we are always accountable to God to keep it. It is a human invention to think that we are more accountable to God when we swear or evoke the name of God and less accountable when we simply make a statement. No matter what we say and no matter how we say it, we are always accountable to God. Now notice verse 34. But I tell you, do not swear at all. Why? Either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great God. Each one of those are examples of what the Pharisees taught as non-binding oaths. You could swear by heaven and get away with it. You could swear by Jerusalem and get away with it. You could swear by the footstool and get away with it. And Jesus is saying, in each one of these instances, you're still accountable to God. If you're swearing by heaven, that's God's throne. If you're swearing by Jerusalem, that's the city of the great king. If you're swearing by his footstool, well, all of that belongs to God. So Jesus is saying there is no 
framework that you can create that makes you unaccountable before God. No matter what, all comes back to God. The purpose of a vow, mark this well, the purpose of a vow ought to be to serve as a reminder that we are accountable to God, as opposed to uniquely making us accountable to God. And you you see that difference. A vow reminds us that we are accountable to God. It doesn't make us accountable to God. So let's fast forward today and think of one practical illustration, even in our own society. A court of law. A court of law. You may have watched the films or you may have been involved in a a court procedure and uh, you see this kind of picture. Bailiff comes and holds out a Bible. And a witness places their hand upon the Bible, raises the right hand and swears to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help them God. Right? Well, there have been religious leaders that have been very concerned about this passage in Matthew that have tried to change the court procedure so that by uh, one's personal religious convictions that they would not have to place their hand on a Bible, would not have to lift, lift their hand and swear to God to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Based on this passage, they said, as Christians, we shouldn't do that. And in many jurisdictions in our land, uh, that has gotten a hearing. And so there are many jurisdictions in which a person is able, to, able either to swear or they can say, I affirm. I swear or I affirm. What's the difference? None. None. There is no legal difference and there is no moral difference. Either way, you are responsible to tell the truth. That's all what it's about. Telling the truth. We're always to tell the truth. We are accountable. Whether we evoke his name or do not evoke his name. We're accountable whether we put our hand on a Bible or don't put our hand on a Bible. We are accountable whether we swear or whether we affirm. If you open your mouth in any setting, in any situation, you are responsible to tell the truth. That's what Jesus is getting at. Therefore, Jesus says, don't swear at all. Because you're always responsible. Your yes should be yes, your no should be no, and that should be good enough, which we will pick up on in just a moment. The second reason we're not strengthening our word is because we have limited control over keeping our word. Matthew 5, 36. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. 
Another instance was that, that people would uh, be swearing by their own person in saying, well, I will be accountable. How we, we can be accountable. But it is saying in verse 36 that no one can make their hair white and no one can make it black. Now, I look out over the congregation and I'm aware that there are people who have dyed their hair. But you can't permanently make it white and you can't permanently make it black. You can dye it, you can change it, but you can't alter the life cycle. Life is short. You can't guarantee what tomorrow holds. And we are to recognize that whenever we give our word, it should always be with the intention of following through. But we should also recognize that we are limited. God is not. God can always keep his word, for there is nothing that can thwart God. There is nothing that is unforeseen by God. There are no attending circumstances that he does not realize. There are no situations over which he has no power. He is infinite. He is sovereign. We are limited. We are not. And thus, there are times in which in all good intention, we may say that we're going to do something and not do it. So James says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall do this or that. And that shouldn't be an escape clause. Uh, That shouldn't be something that we say lightly. But we recognize that there are situations over which we have no control. We can announce church services, but furnaces give off soot. There are things over which we don't have control. However, we should diligently and sacrificially seek to keep our word. Psalm 15.4 says, In whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, he swears to his own hurt and does not change. Swears to his own hurt and does not change. There are times that we break our commitments, we don't keep our word, simply because it's inconvenient. It shouldn't be that way. There are times in which we go back on what we have said, and uh, we are wrong in doing so. So there are times that, yes, it, it may cost us financially. We may have made a commitment that now we need to follow through on. Uh, we, we need to be people of our word. And then thirdly, the third reason that we are not to make oaths, promises, or strengthen our word is because the practice arises from evil. Notice verse 37. But let your yes be yes or your no, no. Just say yes or just say no. And then he says this, and anything beyond that is of evil. King James, whatever is more than that comes of evil. NIV Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So which is it? Evil or evil one? Either one's a good translation, grammatically, and either one makes sense biblically. Let me give you an example of both. Both are true. Jesus is saying, on the one hand, if it's the evil one, that if you are doing more than simply saying yes or no, that originates from Satan himself, as Satan is the father of lies. 
In John chapter 8, verse 33, Jesus says this, Why do you, understand, why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desire of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own nature, for he is a liar and a father of lies. So Jesus is saying, when you lie, you're like the father, your father, the devil. He speaks of his nature. We speak out of our sinful nature. Secondly, all such lying and deceitfulness is a manifestation of our sinful hearts. Thus, the translation, this comes from evil. The Essenes. Now, you may have heard of them, you may have not. They were a very conservative Jewish sect that was in existence uh, just before the New Testament era and continued on into uh, the time of Christ. You may have heard of the Essenes because they had a community where the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. That was an Essene community. The Essenes were very, very conservative religious Jews. And they sought to practice real righteousness. They were not not like the, the Pharisees who wanted to appear to be righteous. They were concerned about being righteous. And the Jewish historian Josephus wrote an account about the Essenes. And this is what he has to say. Quote, Any word of theirs has more force than an oath, swearing they avoid, regarding it as worse than perjury, for they say that one who is not believed without an appeal to God stands condemned already. The Essenes said, if you can't be believed without appealing to God, then there's no hope for you. They were concerned that they would not appeal to God because they wanted to be believed when their word was given. Why do people want other people to swear or make an oath or an avow? It's because people can't be believed. I just bought a car some time ago. It was a rather large purchase. And um, I said, can I just write a check? And the man looked at me and he said, well, Reverend, he said, usually we require a cashier's check. I suppose in this instance we can take a personal check. I said, if that's your policy, I'll be happy to supply you with a cashier's check. Why do they want a cashier's check? Because they've been ripped off. Because they've gotten enough checks over a period of time that have bounced that now they want you to prove that you got money in the bank. The same thing is true with O's. Why do people want us to swear? Because so many people don't keep their word. We need to be on guard. Practically speaking, when people want us to swear or to promise or strengthen our word, because it says that our word is unreliable. 
I remember when uh, my kids were little, we had uh, said that we were going to go to Hershey Park on a Monday. Monday was my day off, so we were going to go to Hershey Park. It was one summer. The kids are little. This was before Pastor Heller was with us. This was before Pastor Dave was with us. I was by myself. And uh, something happened. A person was taken to the hospital. I got a phone call, and uh, I needed to go. So I said to the girls, uh, can't be this Monday. I've got to go to the hospital. We'll go next Monday. I went. We were planning to go. It's next Monday. Someone had a heart attack. I got a phone call right when we were ready to leave. Looked at the girls, and I knew that they were going to be disappointed. They were really little, and I sat them down, and I, I remember saying to Sarah, I said that so-and-so had a heart attack. And where do you think Daddy ought to be today? Having fun at Hershey Park, or should I be by this man and pray with him? And I remember Sarah looking at me and, and saying, I think you should go to the hospital. We went. I said, we'll go next Sunday. I'm, excuse me, we'll go next Monday. I remember I came home, and she came up to me. She da- said, Daddy, are we going to go next Monday? I said, that's the plan. She said, do you promise? I said, well, honey, you know, that's what we want to do. Do you really promise? She was tired of being disappointed. She was tired of, this is the plan, but it doesn't happen. She gave me one strike, she gave me two strikes, but now it's, Daddy, I want to hear from you that this is really going to happen. You see, that's the nature of promises. It's bad news when people want to make you promise. When people want to strengthen your word. When people feel like they have to remind you of your commitments. Call you up and and say, you know, you said you would do such and such. Is that still good? Is that still on? Is that still the way it is? We should be people of our word. We should be honoring our commitments. We should be able to go back to a day in which a handshake is as good as a contract. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could do business on a handshake? And let me just tell you, I think it probably is as reliable as a contract, because most contracts can be broken anyway. just takes a lot of money to do it and a good lawyer. But certainly among Christians... To give our word should mean something. So we need to ask ourselves, are people wanting us to strengthen our word? To say more than simply a yes or a no? Are we viewed as responsible? Are we viewed as reliable? Do we take our commitments seriously? One of the privileges I have and responsibilities is that oftentimes people use me for a reference. And uh, without fail, somewhere on the reference form, and usually one of the very first questions is, is this person reliable? Is this person reliable? Can they be counted upon? Can they be entrusted with responsibility? If I hire this person, 
and I'm going to give them a job. Is the job going to get done? That's what they want to know. Are they going to follow through? And we as Christians need to follow through. And not come up with excuses and especially deceive people about whether or not we're going to do it. So let me bring up a pet peeve. The word maybe. If you ask somebody if they're going to do something and they say to you, maybe. That's useless. And in my estimation, a lot of times that's a shortcut for saying, no, I don't really want to, but I'll tell you that in two weeks. Because I'm embarrassed to say that to you now. Let your yes be yes or your no, no. And cut out the maybes. If you mean by maybe, there are certain things I have no control over, fine. Then the issue is if the Lord wills. But we shouldn't put off making a decision solely on the sense of not wanting to be held accountable for my decision. Not having to follow through. No, we ought to be people that say yes or no so that we can know what has to be done. Either we can count on you or we've got to go to somebody else and and count on them. And there's nothing wrong with saying no if that's your intention. If you're not planning to do it, then say no. That's helpful. And then you can move on. Then you can ask somebody else. Jesus is saying, say yes or no. Jesus is teaching us that righteous people are people who keep their word, people who are honest and trustworthy. They are not people who merely appear to be honest when in fact they are scheming, conniving, and making provision to break their commitments. And let me just say, I don't think this is the case, but let me just say, we also need to guard against that pharisaical understanding that they entered into, that they were responsible to keep their word to fellow Jews, but they weren't responsible to Gentiles. I would hope we would never think that we are responsible to our fellow Christians in a way in which we're not responsible to non-believers. That there needs to be integrity and honesty among Christians, but when we're dealing with non-Christians, that's a whole other story. Well, we may not expect them to be honest with us, but we should always be honest with them. That's part of our witness. That's part of our integrity. That's part of being salt and light in the world in which we live, that our word is reliable. Our word should be as good as our bond, as it were. What we're going to say, we ought to do. Jesus teaches us it is simple as that. Just do what you say you're going to do. That's being righteous. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you, and uh, Lord, I pray you would help us. Uh, Help us to be people who are honest, people who do not lie, people who do not embellish the truth, people who do not exaggerate, and people who do not look for ways out of the commitments that we have entered into. Help us not to enter into them then lightly or indiscriminately or without prayer, without consideration. Uh, Lord, uh, if it takes time, may we take that time to give the answer But, uh, Lord, may we then be ready to either say yes or no at some point, understanding, of course, 
the limitations that we have to fulfill our word. Help us to be people that can be, be trusted. And in such, Lord, help us to be salt and light in this world in which there is so much untrustworthiness, when people are untruthful, and where contracts are broken left and right, and we just kind of anticipate that that's the way it is. And some athlete that has signed a contract for $10 million and another athlete comes along and gets $12 million, wants to renegotiate their contract, thinking that uh, they deserve more because this other person did. Oh, Lord, uh, help us to be people who abide by our word and our commitments. To your honor and to your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.